Welcome to another episode of Chic Compass Connection. This podcast will give you a glimpse into the window of the popular Chic Compass magazine, where we feature art, music, design, fashion, dining, and all things chic for the culture-starved audiences of the world. To view our magazine online, visit chiccompass.com. That's C-H-I-C-C-O-M-P-A-S-S dot com. We would also like to thank the Vegas Room in the Historic Commercial Center in Las Vegas, Nevada, for inviting us to their supper club to broadcast our show. I'm your host, Jamie Hosmer. Let's introduce today's guest. Clint Holmes is a legendary singer, songwriter, performer, and Grammy nominee. Whether he is singing selections from the Great American Songbook, contemporary classics, or stirring original pieces, Every performance is a one-of-a-kind, mesmerizing, and unforgettable experience. His 40-plus year career has taken him to the top of the charts, to concert halls, on TV screens, and also cemented his legacy as a veritable Las Vegas institution. Kelly Clinton Holmes is a singer, actress, comedian, impressionist, and television personality. Her TV credits include Vegas Live alongside Sheena Easton and Clint Holmes, and she was a winner on ABC's America's Funniest People. BroadwayWorld.com nominated her as Best Comedic Actress in 2011 and 2012. She's worked with Wayne Newton, Engelbert Humperdinck, and her open mic cabaret at the Bootlegger Bistro in Las Vegas has become a legendary Monday night event. She currently co-hosts Coffee Time with Lena and Kelly, alongside her best friend, Lena Prima. Clint and Kelly, welcome to the podcast. (laughs) Thank you, Jamie. It's always great to see you, my friend. So we have so much ground to cover. And uh, so I want to start with, actually, I want to start with Kelly, because I want you to tell us about your Coffee Time. What is that all about? Okay, well... As you know, the pandemic started how long ago? We are still in the COVID era as we record this. (laughs) I have the longest gray roots. No. Um, (laughs) But we thought, my best friend, Lena, lives in in, uh, New Orleans. So she lived here for a long time. We've been best friends since high school. So we kind of, you know, the to cheer each other up, we would get together on the phone. And then all of a sudden, the Zoom thing started happening. So... We said, oh, why don't we, it was really her idea. She said, why don't we do that coffee show we want to talk about, coffee time, we'll do it. And one thing led to another, and we did this 15-minute show for a while, and we we would do positive quotes and uh, talk about light and fun things just to lighten all of this up. And then I would close with a character where I would change into that character in like 20 seconds and jump over into another chair. (laughs) Anyway, we had so much fun doing it, and now... We are on our 70th show as of a couple of days ago. Wow, 70th show. Yeah. And are you just having a blast doing it? We're having, it it is healing us um, because it it just takes our mind off of everything and all the pressure and things you can't control. We can control this. And we're actually getting a lot of response from people. We have a website called Kelly and, no, lenaandkelly.com or Coffee Time with Lena and Kelly.com, and they can subscribe to it, or they can watch it on Facebook, on our Facebook page. And we're having a blast. And now, of course, it's about 25 minutes long because we're ham bones, and the characters <laughs> are edited now into green screen, and we're having a blast. 
Oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> so there's been a bit of an evolution since you started. And we're doing it three times a week, which is like a real job, Jamie. <laughs> now you're, you're committed to it. Yeah. Yes, and we're, we really look forward to it. And it, if you don't feel good that day, we end up feeling great after the show's over. So That's perfect. Yeah. So, Kelly, you are from New Jersey, is that correct? I was born in New Jersey. I lived there until I was 12 years old. Okay. I mean, yeah, my family moved here, well, let's just say in the 1900s. Oh, that's, that was a while ago. Mm-hmm. I think you're exaggerating. Okay, let's go with that. <laughs> let's go with that. So you, um, your influences are, well, two of your biggest influences, Carol Burnett and Lucille Ball. Is that correct? That's so correct. So yeah. when was the first time you saw them and what was it about them that just struck you? Uh, well, I was probably six or seven years old when I saw the Carol Burnett show. And so it was one of those things where I immediately was attracted to this wonderful lady who was willing to be wacky. I didn't understand all that then. I just saw a lady who I thought was beautiful come out in this glamorous dress, chat with the audience and giggle and laugh, and then turn into a million other people. And the sketch comedy thing just, I I literally wanted to climb into the television. And then, of course, Lucille Ball was on television all the time. And then the, the fact that they were both friends, too, and collaborated a lot, it was just... I don't know, just that thing where you, you just know what you want to do at a really young age. So you I can show you my closet with the uh, wigs and costumes and garage full of things and props that I thought I didn't need anymore until coffee time. There you go. <laughs> so, but you, you knew at that young of an age that yeah. you wanted to be an entertainer. Absolutely. And, and it was the singing, acting, comedy all together was what I was attracted to. You know, so I, I, I feel very fortunate to get to do that growing up from high school on or junior high on. Here in Vegas, I had more opportunities, and uh, I've been a working entertainer since I graduated high school. And the most amazing part of that story is that I graduated. Okay. <laughs> but so you moved out to Vegas when you were 12 years old? Yeah. So I went and to did you high. do like the school plays and that type of thing? I did once I got in, into high school because there were a lot of programs. There was choir and theater and a pop vocal group that you had to audition for. That's where I met Lena Prima, by the way. And we were the choreographers somehow in the, a group of about 15 students. And we got to perform around Las Vegas in high school and in concerts and school. And, and then the theater department, yes, I was, I was the class clown and I was... You know, an actress in high school in the plays. Wow, that is so fascinating. I was blessed to have those opportunities here. And do you think because you lived in Las Vegas and where there's so much entertainment, was it relatively easy for you to get gigs and and do things in entertainment after you got out of high school? Hmm. Well, I, I, I do think it wasn't easy, but it was the opportunities were there. And because... I sang and I, well, I, I wasn't very good at the hosting and talking in the beginning, but when you're kind of put out there, it's like you're going to school right on stage. And the gigs were, I was in a band that was called Mainstream and I was in it six nights a week. So I was learning my lessons hard. I mean, it was, the guys were a little older and they kind of took me under their wing. They'd say, talk, talk, <laughs> you know, and just, it was tough. Uh, 
Uh, but it, you're right. There were opportunities. There were showcases. There was a Sunday night showcase at a place called the Maxim Hotel. And that's when I first met Santa Fe and the Fat City. Well, wow. I don't know if they were the Fat City Horns. They were Santa Fe at the time. And all these other great groups like Cedros Armada, they were playing there. But there was a Sunday night showcase. And now it's interesting because then for the last almost 20 years, I've been hosting an open mic. And that's where I got my opportunity to begin with. Wow, and an event Was that like an that. Open mic? Yeah. That is amazing. Yeah. Wow. I love to hear stories of how people got inspired, you know, to follow their passions and and actually did and how they did it. Um Wow, that's great. All right, we're going to come back to a lot of the other stuff that you're doing now and have done. Um So Clint. Yes. So a lot of people know your story, right? Because it's on. Because I I tell it right? in the show, yeah. Um, but I want to start with how. What inspired you as a as a child, as to when you said I want to sing? You know, I I remember a couple of things. I remember uh, an old TV show called The Ed Sullivan Show, right? And that was on at eight o'clock on Sunday night. And uh, was one of the few things that I remember our family doing together. It was like an event. It was, I think it was a bath night, you know, it's like Sunday night, you know, you take your bath, the Ed Sullivan show's coming on, you know, it was all this whole event, right? Um, and I would see th- these, these, these artists, these performers, and some of them, my father or my mother would particularly like. And so like if, uh, if a Billy Eckstein or Sammy Davis Jr. came on, that was even more of an event because my father would go, you know, this guy is this and that guy is this. And then if, if Victor Borga came on to play piano, that was exciting to my mother. So there was sort of a connection of, well, this, this what I'm watching is exciting. You know, it's more than just a, a show that comes on from eight to nine. It's exciting. And, and my parents get excited about it. So I, I think that the, and and of course, some of the people that the Beatles were on, and and um, and Elvis was on, and and those were the contemporary artists to, to me when I was a teenager, you know. Um, and of course, your mom being mm-hmm. an opera singer, right. right? And your dad was a jazz musician. Right. Was your dad a jazz singer? Singer, a, j- a jazz singer. Right. So that really ran the gamut. Well, yeah. I mean, and it was different. That's I think the the key to it. It was it wasn't. Uh, that one that everyone was special. It was this person. This kind of thing is special to my dad. This kind of thing is special to my mom. And then what was special to me, you know? Um, and when I was young, before I quote unquote started singing, even with a high school band, my dad took me. We lived near Buffalo, and there was a club in Buffalo called the Colored Musicians Club, and it's still there. It's it's a landmark now. Wow. Yeah. And um, my dad started taking me in on uh, Sunday afternoons. They had jam sessions, right? Probably three o'clock, I don't remember. But that was a world so foreign to the world that I lived in every day because the world I lived in was a small town 25 miles south of Buffalo. It was just literally a small town. There was no place of music. There were, you know what I mean? There's two churches, a fire hall, blah, blah, blah. And now all of a sudden, we're in Buffalo, you know, you open the door and the music's playing and the people are popping and clapping and going, woo-hoo! It, wow, right? So the the the, the whole vibe of that, uh, even if I didn't really know what was happening, you know, kind of thing, was exciting. And my father was very different there. 
You know, my dad worked two jobs, sometimes three. Okay. But here, he was Eddie. He was cool Eddie. And he walked in and everybody, hey, Eddie, how you doing? My father was like, I'm good. I, this is my son. This is my kid. You know, I, I can't even describe how different it was wow. from the world we lived in day by day. So you, you saw him as a different person. A, a totally different person. When you person. walked in there. Totally different person. And it, was, and it was also, the town we lived in was 100% white. You know, it was ger- mainly German, Polish, and Italian. And this club was 100% black. So even that was like, whoa, you know, I, I was transported into a world that I, I wouldn't even have known existed when I was growing up other than my dad taking me to it. Wow, that's amazing. And it was connected to music. Wow. So how do you go from there uh-huh. to having your hit song, <laughs> right. Playground in My Mind, mm-hmm. which was, uh, let me, I, I've got a note of that in- uh, You've played it enough. I've played it. Okay. I should know the year. Um, what year? What 70, year? Se- uh, it, it came out in 73, and I think it was a hit in 74, um, or it was 72 and 73, but it, it, it was an interesting record. came out, um, let's call it 73 and 74. Okay. In the uh, spring of 73. Playground in my Playground mind. Playground in my mind. And it was my on the charts Michael, for- I got a nickel. Right? It's like 23 weeks or something it was on the charts, right? And it, it, Initially, it wasn't. When it came out, it didn't do well. It bombed, really. To, to, to the point that, well, okay, that came and went. Wow. Christmas of that year. So, so we're talking spring, maybe May, mm-hmm. that came out. Forgot about it. it did, well, okay, didn't, didn't work. Christmas of that year, I get a call from a friend of mine who lived in Wichita Falls, Kansas. And he says, man, I hear your record all the time. They're playing it. And I go, my, the what? And he goes, you know, the one with the kids. My name is... I said, that came out in May. What, what do you mean? And, and so what, what had happened was the, the program director at, the, at a station called Clio in Wichita Falls, Kansas, thought it was Christmassy, holiday-like. So he started playing it for the holidays. By January, it had broken out regionally in the, mid, in the Midwest, Kansas, Missouri, St. Louis. You know, it, it had broken out to the point that they flew me to LA to, to do an album because we'd only cut two songs. Wow. So by January, February, it's top 100 and I'm cutting an album. And by spring of, uh, by summer of that year, Playground in my mind was number two in, in the country. So it looked, literally took a year. That is an incredible story. Yeah, yeah You just never know, right? So had you, when it was released, had you just kind of like, well, that's it. I yeah. guess it's just yeah. You know, it comes out and you know, and and, and I'm 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 out, you know I'm out there. I have a band. I have a band called Clint Holmes and the what was it called at that point? The the, the, the Bacchanal. Yeah. Okay. And, and we're working gigs, you know, and that's what I was doing. And ooh, we got a record, and ooh, I sang it at the gigs, and and nothing happened, you know. And then all of a sudden, I was playing. I tell you, I know the moment. I was playing. We were playing in a in a bar in Romulus, Michigan, which is outside of Detroit. And one side of the bar was a bar with where we played. The other side was a bowling alley. So we could literally hear, during the ballads, literally hear the bowling alley while we're singing. It's right? so inspiring. It's crazy. And, and there's where I got the phone call. We were rehearsing, and the bartender says, Clint, you got a phone call. I'm like, okay. And it was, I mean, this is no cell phone days, right? You know. Uh, and it was from Don Ellis, who was the vice president of Epic Records, and he calls me up to say, "We got to get you to L.A. Your record's going top 100 next wow. next week." And wow. so, yeah, it was it was so, so cool. bizarre and crazy journey, you know. Wow, that's just amazing. I don't like my whole career. You know, you you know, there's so many things that happened that you just go, 
that is fate, that is luck, that is good fortune, that is whatever, you yep. know, and, and, uh, and has let me do what I do for so long. That's so great. Um, all right, I want to go back to Kelly, and I want to ask you, you know, similar, similar questions, because you, you sang with Wayne Newton for, for how long? I did. Um, well, I, I sang with him for maybe three years as okay. a back, backup singer, um, but I met him in 1987. Okay. When I was in my early 20s. <laughs> I think I was, anyway, anyway, I was really young, and uh, I met him, and some one thing led to another, and they invited me to go somewhere after, which was Bourbon Street at the time. Um, it was a high school teacher of mine saw me singing in the lounge. I'm sorry, now my story is turning into that thing. I oh do. no, that's what I want to know. How okay, did it? How did it lead up to you getting that gig? Well, I was singing with Bruce Sarka in his band at Bally's, which is now Bally's again, but it changed over the over time. But mm-hmm. singing in the lounge, and my high school teacher um, was uh, walking through, and he stopped and said. I'm so glad to see you're still doing, you know, what you do and from high school. And it's only a couple of years after high school. And he said, I said, what are you doing here, Mr. Madrano? And he said, well, I'm actually working with Wayne Newton in security and some some other things. And I said, oh, my goodness. He goes, too bad you're working because tomorrow night he's closing. Otherwise, I would love to bring you to the show. I go, well, this is like we're off tomorrow night and then we're back on the next. That was as short as the gig was, like. Two days. Right. So he said, well, then meet me right here at 7.30 tomorrow night. So I met Wayne Newt. I walked, I mean, he brought me right in the dressing room, and I just remember him introducing one at a time, and we got to Wayne. This is before the show, and he said, it's so nice to meet you, Kelly. <laughs> Where are you from? You know, I'm like, oh, my God, it's Wayne Newton right here. I didn't even know. I mean, I was so not experienced at all. And, and he goes, well, I hope you enjoy the show. Watch the show. And then they invited me to something across the street at Bourbon Street. The Smith Brothers were playing there. And they were very popular back then. And uh, they had just met me the night before at Bally's in the Lounge. Wow. I ju- and I did my little Elvis thing that I do. I have all mm-hmm. these silly things I do. And they, I thought, oh, my God. They are going to ask me to come on the stage. I'm not a good sitter in her to this day. I don't like to sit in her. Oh, my God. Oh my God. Why would they ask me? What are you doing? God. I went in the restroom. I'm like, <laughs> oh, my God, I need to leave. I need to excuse myself and go, you know, because Wayne Newton is here, and that'll be the first time. Sure. And I, I go, you'll, you're, you're going to regret this if you leave. I had enough sense in my head to talk myself into staying. And I walk out of the restroom, and they go, hey, Kelly, why don't you come up and sing a song? I'm like, Sure. And inside I'm shaking. And they're like, well, do you know this Madonna song? Because that's what was going on. I, I didn't know anything. They go, why don't you do that Elvis thing you did last night? So I burst into my jailhouse rock thing. Perfect. Moving my legs and singing my song. And then I sit down and Wayne Newton has me sit right next to him. And he says, if I knew you could do that, I would have brought you right on my stage tonight. <laughs> and so he kind of took me under his wing. I knew him for maybe less than a year, and that is the year that Elvis, uh, 10-year anniversary of Elvis's passing. Wow. So he said, you know, I'd love to have you do your... And he put me in a show, and I was in this big show for, you know, a 10-day period with some of Elvis's... James Burton on guitar and... Wow. Kathy Westmoreland and her sister, you know, and J.D. Sumner, and I mean, it was... Surreal. And did and you do the Elvis thing? 
what he did was he and he and he brought, flew me to Tahoe to rehearse. I was just I brought the biggest suitcase you ever saw in your life to be there overnight because I was just didn't know I was just green. Right. And uh, Lupe, his uh, you know lighting and sound helped drag this suitcase. I was like, oh. I had this anyway. I, 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 my stories are too long. So, no, I, this is great. So when you know sees me shaking, I mean, it's like I had a breakout of, you know, pimples on my, which I never had. I was just so wrecked. He goes, "Let's go have a talk." And he said, "Listen, I asked you to do this because I didn't want a, an Elvis impersonator." Or a blah, 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 blah. When Mr. Benny had me part, and I'm like, Mr. Jack Benny. <laughs> Gave me this big pep talk and said, I, you belong here and I want you to be here. And we set me up in the audience to be like a young girl. And I was young enough to be a young girl then. And then I was like an autograph seeker. And oh. so he had me come on the stage and then it told me to say I was from Texas and that I wanted an autograph and that, that say it was, from, it was just a brilliant idea. And I kept thinking, I I don't sound like I'm from Texas. So he comes out, and I come up. The security comes out on stage. This is the whole big show and everything. And everyone goes, oh, because I climb right up on the stage after asking three times and no response. And he goes, oh, hold back on security. And he goes, what are you doing up? And I just want to get an autograph. And he, he said, oh, where are you from? I said, New Jersey. <laughs> and he looked at me like, and then um, he said, so you want an autograph? Yes. Um, what should I make it out to? And I said, well, it's not for me. It's for my grandmother. Audience is laughing. They're with us the whole way. Then he asks me to hold his gold microphone while he signs it. And everybody's just all in. And I take the mic and then I want to party. And the whole orchestra kicks in, 30-piece orchestra. And then I do my whole shimmy across the stage. And it was one of the greatest experiences of my life. Wow. Then I, I know. you I don't know, know all this. that? I don't know this. Then he, you know, he was just a mentor, gave me lots of advice. And then when wow. the backup singer chair opened, you know, he said, if you want to do that, I would love to have you. It was like that. It was some, Robin Lewis, who was leaving, said, hey, Kelly, you know, you're friends with them. They like you. And then I was singing backup for a few years. And it was just a surreal time in my life because I was like 22 or three years old. That is such yeah. a great story. The, this, these, this is the stories that the <laughs> listeners of this podcast needs to hear. See, that's fantastic. Know. Even her husband needs to hear. Right? Even Clint did not know, I, I did not know that, story. that story. And I just remember, I'll say this really quickly. I just remember saying, I'm a girl from a square mile town in New Jersey. My mom moved out here because her sister lived here. And then all of these, you know, of all the singers, all these great singers, I'm not the greatest singer in the world. But the combination of things that I did were, you know, whatever. It's unique. just amazing to me. You, you're a very unique performer. You have a lot of different talents that you put together. That, well, that sometimes people don't know that, the, and Clint helped me with that over the years. The things that you don't understand that you, you know, that, that you look at, look at as a weakness or that they say, wait a minute, but you have this, this, yeah. this. So that's what I always try to tell if I'm ever mentoring I say, oh, don't you judge. You can't judge because you don't know how it's going to go for you. You know, don't compare yourself. So those, it's just a very special time. And I feel the same way as you. You never know what's going to happen. What, it's one so thing crazy. So, okay. So, Clint, let's go on that theme as far as like uh, things that you, you didn't know where the universe was pushing you, right? Mm -hmm. um, 
we worked together at Harrah's. You were the headliner right. uh, at Harrah's in Las Vegas from, boy, for about six years. Almost, yeah, six and a half years. Yeah. Now, how did that come about? Was that something that you had... Did you go after that? No, no. That whole the whole Las Vegas experience uh, uh, years ago. Uh, I was working a lot in Atlantic City, right? Because uh, I lived in the I lived in New Jersey, so that was the home base. I, and occasionally, I'd come out to Vegas to open just for a week with Don Rickles or somebody. So I I was familiar with Vegas, but I certainly didn't live here, right? So in in, in 1998. Um, Steve Wynn, who I had done a show, uh, Steve Wynn had me do a show for him uh, 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 for retinitis pigmentosa, right, which he has, yeah. right, uh, in Utah, because he had seen me in Atlantic City. Okay. So he flew me out to Utah to do the show, and he, was, he, he, he really became kind of a fan of what I do. Okay. So in 98, he called me, and he said, I built this room at the Golden Nugget for Sinatra, uh, Stephen Eady, Harry Belafonte, and he named a few people. He said, and most of them are either not working anymore or gone. And I'm going to close the room unless I can make it a success. And I think my best shot is to bring you out here. And he brought me this. So this is 1998. He said, I'll offer you this. You'll come out here in February of the next year, 99, and I will pay you for eight months, even if the show closes in a month. Wow. So, So... Of course. Right. So I left my family back in New Jersey because who knew mm -hmm. how long I'd be here. And I came out and we built a show and the show ran um, almost the whole year we, from February to August, I believe. Uh, but by then I had kind of gotten enough of a, of, a, of a reputation in town that there was three hotels, the Venetian, which had just opened, Harris and uh, the Desert Inn, all were interested in bringing me in. Wow. This was a time when there were the resident entertainers. Danny Gans kind of started that whole thing, but it was Danny, it was Lance Burton, it was, you know, the, these resident headliners. So my manager came out and we, and we, we, we met with, um, with all of them. And my manager said, okay, the Venetian is great, but they have already booked Elton John at that time to be their kind of main person. And then they have uh, this other thing, your third, your, your, your third, uh, Desert Inn off the strip at that point felt like another land he said beautiful room but blah 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 he said harris not a a plus hotel but a nice hotel with a great following and you're it you're the guy They're, you're gonna get the billboards you're gonna get the cab tops so we signed with harris for a year then one night while my manager was visiting from new york um having known santa fe having known you guys having known jerry um, and worked with with I brought him to see you guys at um, that would probably at, at, was at, Palace Station yeah Palace Station at Palace Station and I wasn't even moved to town yet yeah oh really <laughs> I was hadn't even moved to town yet wow so we're sitting there watching the band and my manager turns to me and he says that's your band and I said I said that's twelve guys I, I can't afford twelve guys as but I love them but I can't, blah 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 and he said to me he said you know what he said you're nobody knows you here. You're one of the few music acts at the time. It was all magicians, and mm. it was very few. It was long before Celine came, and you know, he said. So what you're selling is a musical evening. You've got to put your best foot forward. Give yourself your best chance. So not only will they hopefully like you, 
but they're going to be blown away by your band. And every you all of you guys sing in the band, you know. And so 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 I hired Santa Fe to be my band, which was wow. the best thing I ever did because he was right. People would come in and 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 like what I did, but but by the whole experience, just be and the band. Oh my right. God, you should hear, you know, right, right. And 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 you could really do really what you wanted to do. Structure songs any way any you way, wanted to, any way, right? And with, with top of the line players and singers, and and you know, and it turned into uh, uh, an almost seven seven year love affair. Amazing. You know, I mean, we you know every night was was different. Every night was great. We, every night was sold out. It, it was just you know a dream in, in in a way. And what is it about these certain points in our lives when you decide to say? you know, yes to something mm-hmm. versus I don't think so. And w- what could have happened had you not said yes right. to certain things, right? Um, so it's or, or had I gone, yeah, even in the decision-making process of which hotel after I closed at Golden Nugget, um, you, you know, the, the shiny red object, the shiny bright object was the Venetian. It had just opened. It was like, wow, the Venetian, right? You know, I probably, and, and Rob Goldstein, who ran the Venetian, it was a, is a longtime friend, I probably would have said, I want to go to the Venetian. Mm-hmm. And, and I may have gotten lost in the, in the shuffle. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas Harris gave me everything. And, and that first period of time when we opened at Harris and there was no business and we were even doing two shows a night, as I remember, right? And some nights we'd walk out in this 550 seat room and there'd be 50 people. And I remember thinking, well, this isn't working. But Harris, the people would come to me and say, it's all right. The people who are coming love you, and that's what we want. It's going to take a minute, but you're the show we want. And and they gave us time. And by, I'm making this up, six months into it, all of a sudden, you know, people were coming to see the show. Well, what I remember, uh, because that was, I moved to town in 2000, right as that show started. Um, and I didn't, I didn't join until maybe a year later or so with, with you and the guys. But I, what I remember seeing was, um, you know, you, you did your part. You were, you were out in the community at every event, every, you know, charity event, every television opportunity, you know, you got your face out there, you did your part and, and you've said Harris did their part. Yep. They supported you. They marketed the show. And it was a wonderful combination um, that now it's, you know, now we're in 2020. And never mind the, the COVID situation, but things are so different here now. Very different. When it comes to shows. It's hard to find that partnership now. It's, it's hard to find the partnership of the hotel and the, and the artist. It's, it's like, you know, get the biggest artist you can, you know, and uh, or... Fine, come in and do a four wall. You come in, you pay for the advertising, you pay, and and we'll give you eighty percent of the tickets or whatever. However it works, right. which for a comedian, you know, is is fair. But when and certainly you know, singer coming in with a twelve piece band or even a six or seven piece band, yeah, you know, the first thing you got to do is pay the band, yeah. You know, yeah. so you got to make that much money, yeah. you know, before you, so it's very difficult. It's tough these it's, days. You know, I've been, I've been lu- lucky because the Smith Center, the advent of the Smith Center and, and Myron's Cabaret has, you know, I've been a big part of that. What a great venue that is. Great venue. And, and enough of the other uh, residencies, enough of my uh, people knowing me in this town that I have worked the other hotels too. So, right. so it still sustains itself, but it's not like the, that. It's not like that yeah. great time. Um, all right, Kelly, I want to ask you about 
your open mic. Um, how long have you been doing the the open mic cabaret over at the Bootlegger? Well, I'm I'm I believe it was 2003 that I wow. started there, and it was one of those interesting opportunities, like we're talking about. I was doing a, a dinner show called Bada Bing for a short time. And that was a lot of improv, right? It was a script, but improvisational, uh, interact, interactive with the audience. Okay. And so I remember thinking, boy, you know, between singing with bands and having to talk, like I spoke about earlier, now you can't shut me up. Um, then that improv, which I, people always say I'm, I, I, I improv. And mm-hmm. I do, but I don't, you know, I'm just not thinking of it that way. Mm. But that show made me think of, wow, I guess you can pull it out of your ear. When, when it's time. Then someone said, uh, a friend, Ruthie Catalano, was the hostess at Bootlegger. And it was, we used to come by there. Lena and I would stop in there. And they had their off the cuff on, I think, Friday, Saturday night. So I was very familiar. And I would go there sometimes after work. And Ruthie was asking me would I do a birthday party for our friend Eric. Uh, they were going to have karaoke, which... That's cute and everything and fun, and I do think it's a cool thing. But at the time, I was like, well, wait a minute. She goes, right. you could do like a 45-minute set for our friend Eric and my friend Jeff. Anyway, the karaoke company, and I'm like, oh, okay. I did the 45 minutes, and then she said to me, it was fun. We had a lot of fun, and the party was great. And then she said, would you consider doing this like on a Monday night? Uh, I was like, I didn't even let her finish. I was like, nope, 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 nope. I'm not, I, I don't know, karaoke. And uh, I sing with bands. And I, and so she said, oh, it would be a good showcase for you. You could do that show still and come over. I'm like, talk me into it. And I had known Clint and Bill Fain for a few years by then. And Bill had seen me in bands and shows and things, but Clint was, you know, it was like one night off a week. He was like, ah, I'm sorry, I can't. Right. Remember. And of course, Bill Fain was Clint's musical, musical director, director for many and years. He's his best friend forever. Right. That's right. So I, uh, so anyway, I, Clint, you know, we had worked on Clint and I and Bill had worked on a project, comedy thing. Anyway, so he said, oh, you're doing the bootlegger on Monday night. Well, Bill and I are going to see a game and, and he says, I'll come by. I go, wait, I've never done this before. We actually went to see a Dodger game yeah. in L.A. the night before and drove back. You and Bill, yeah, Bill had gone I, to see a Dodger drove game. drove back in time to come see her. Okay. I, I tried to, I mean, here, here he is, my friend for a few years and someone I respect so much. And Bill, I, of course, but Bill had seen all my other stuff where I got to shine and do something. And he's in, And this was like, your first night. My very first night, which I had no idea what it even is. So, other than that, I was a part of it the last week before that. So, um, so I ended up. Uh, he's like, "No, we're coming out." Oh, of all the things, I don't even know what I said. We'd like to bootleg. We're coming. Shut up. So, I get there now. I have to tap dance like crazy because I I don't do karaoke, and I didn't know anyone who was coming. And Clinton, Bill, come, and some karaoke people that know the, the company, and they come, and some dancers and singers from the show I was in, and. My friends from the Wayne Newton show was like really interesting. They showed up, but I had to sing a lot and just take risks and and I had to fill in the time. Talk, 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 blah, blah, and the rest is history. But anyway, then all of a sudden, you know, more people came the next week and then Clint would bring friends and Bill would bring friends. It became crazy packed with lots of entertainers that wanted to sing. Right. Good, really good singers. Right. 
even Bill Medley came in saying hello to Clint when I got up. And, and so it, it, we, we just were, it was very strong. It became something written about a lot in the papers. And you couldn't, I mean, it, we'd have a million people waiting to sing and a full room and overflow into the aisles. Wow. It, was, it blew my mind because I, you talked about opportunities and saying yes or no. That was a big no that got talked into a yes. Right. There's a few things like that in my life. And I was like, wow. And the job has been, how many years is that? I don't know. I really am not good at math. Yes. Wow. It's like incredible. 19, 18 years or something. Yeah. Yeah. So, 17 years. I mean, the both of you are very creative people, right? Clint, songwriter. Um, you're, you're working on a Broadway show right. as we speak. Right. Um, Kelly, of course, another amazingly creative person um, with, with impressions, comedy, uh, and you do a lot of off-the-cuff stuff that is, is really impressive. So I want to ask the both of you, where do you think creativity is born? Where does it come from? Where does it come from? For you, Clint, you know? Wow, that's a big question. I know, it's a tough question. It's something that I, I contemplate a lot. Right. Where is this coming from? Yep. Mm -hmm. After you've written a song, where was that? Was that somewhere? Boy, is that a great question. Isn't that something? Um, yeah, inspiration, perspiration, right? Um, uh, as a writer, they're, they're, they're um, in need. Um, so there's a blank piece of paper right? And um, you sit there and you have, maybe you have an idea, maybe you don't have an idea. Maybe you have, like I'm writing with other people right now. And so I'll get um, a melody sent from someone I'm writing with. And again, it's a blank piece of paper and you sit there and you listen and you listen and you hope that something goes into your mind and you write. So I, th I think that there's a lot of ways to approach it, but I think what it comes from is another way of expressing ourselves. You know, I mean, look, our job as entertainers, you walk out on that stage and, and, and say to the audience subliminally, watch me, listen to me, love me, appreciate me, laugh at my jokes. Uh -huh. You know, that's, that's uh -huh. what the next 90 minutes are about, uh -huh. right? So that's one. So writing is a very different thing because it's very, it's private. It's, it's, it's in one. Solitude. You're, you're there, you know, writing it, but it's still, I mean, Kelly, when I'm writing, I can't wait. I mean, I'll have an idea that I like and I can't wait so I go, Kelly, come here, come here. What, do you, what do you think of this? So it, it is part of, it's still a part of performing. It's still a part of that, you know? Um, so I think where, where does it come from? It comes from the need to communicate and it comes from what we do. You know, the, the, it is who we are and what we do, you know? And people who, who don't do it, look at it like, well, how can you write a song? How can you, how can that even happen? And you go, I don't know. I, you, you just start and, 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 and work at it. You know, like I say, it's inspiration, but it's also perspiration. It's also, you know, you're writing a, a CD. You may have a, a great idea and then go, okay, that's a great two lines. Right. <laughs> you know, right. what's the rest of the song about? Right. Right. And that's where the, where you sit down and, and, and work the puzzle until, until right. you, you, you find it. And it's right. so exciting, isn't it? When you finish mm -hmm. it. Finish it really is. It's very rewarding. Yeah. Um, and Kelly, what about you? Like if you're getting ready to do, if you have an idea. Mm -hmm to do something, whether it's a character or a skit. Where, where does that come from for you? Well, I was trying not to think about it because I was listening to everything you were saying, Clint. Um, 
it's in the vows. We have to listen to everything each other says and laugh at jokes <laughs> that we've heard. But I, I was, I was fascinated by your answer. But I, mine is similar in a way. It's imagination and it's pretending. That's where my stuff started. My craziness started when I was a kid. And I would impersonate or mimic family members or make things up. And and so that's what's going on. Is is uh, I, And I also have kind of a left field I look at everything from kind of out of left field. And I have, Clint will say, where did you come up with that? It doesn't, I mean, it's it's good. It's just weird. Where did it come? So my brain works that way anyway. But, um, and especially with this show, I, or any characters I ever did, I, I did impersonations, a few, but I do original characters. Like Jojo Spaghetti Moretti is a, for some reason, <laughs> I mean, I had my brother's old trumpet. I was in a fire, by the way. Uh, you know, it was Bundy trumpet from grade school. And uh, I was just thinking about all the back east kind of people I know or even agent type people or f- friend fans uh, that come and say, kid, you know, you're really good. You should do this. People I grew up knowing and I smushed them all together and made this guy trumpet player and he's got a backstory. I don't know where it comes from. But and then several other things that Lena and I, I told Lena, how can I do a character every show? Uh, I've got right. like five. She goes, oh, no, you've got more. <laughs> so we just come up. We did a Mother Nature thing, but we made her. The reason she's causing all havoc is because she's been in uh, perpetual uh, menopause for all these years. <laughs> so it's mood swings, the earthquakes. So it's it, earthquakes and tornadoes. So I don't know where it comes from, but we end up just p- peeling the onion and just thinking of the crazy ideas that come in your head and funny, and it starts to be funny to you. And, you know, I don't know. I, it's imagination and pretending, yeah. which is the most fun. You know, um, sometimes after I've written a song, I'll think back on um, the process. Sometimes I don't remember it. Yeah. I'm going, wait, how did I even write that song? Right, and then other times I distinctly remember this was really work. Yeah, to get to yeah. the end, I had a, a kernel of an idea, but to get from there to the finish line, it was work. Right, so I guess it's a combination of the of the two, and I think for me, it's remaining open to for ideas yeah. to come in um, and not blocking them. Right, because it's very easy, at least for me, sometimes to get an idea and go, "Oh, that's dumb. Let's just put that off to the side." And you know what? It's not always dumb. Right. You know, you should write it down and you should uh, bring it to a point where you can really evaluate it, because it might be something good. Absolutely right. I I, I say that a lot too. Yeah, that that it's like I don't know. I write, you know, like pads of pads of of ideas and things that are written sideways and underneath the the thing because I don't want to turn the page to a new page because it's probably stupid so I'll just put it in here you know and then and then you're writing and, and you go oh, wait a minute what, what was that that I thought of the other day you know because you can't throw it away right you can't throw it away I, I'm I'm finding I, there's a song that you know very well I wrote called if not now when mm-hmm. right I wrote it after I had cancer it was a you know mm-hmm. the whole idea literally you know blah, I almost sat at the piano and sang the song Right, you know what I mean? Wow. Because um, it, it, it was just there. It was what I was thinking and feeling and I wanted to say. And there are many other songs that Kelly will tell you are just work. 
and you go, I don't know. Do I even know what I'm writing about right now? Do I, is there a subject matter here? You know, um, and something that I've learned writing with a friend of mine who write, is a Broadway writer, and I, I, you and I have mm-hmm. talked about his name is Frank Wildhorn, is you know, Frank will push me to that place. Well, that's a good lyric. That's a good lyric. But, but there's something more. There, there, you, there's more. He said, you know, take the time to re-examine the characters you're writing about. Take the time to die. And inevitably, he's been right. And it's been really good for me to dive into what I would have gone, oh, here it is. And everybody would have gone, oh, that's nice. You know, as opposed to here it is and go, oh, where'd that come from? Where'd that line come from? Where, you know, so, and that's, but that's also a credit to you for being open to that's what you said to that um the the idea that oh maybe what i wrote wasn't as good as what i can do let me take another look at that yeah, yeah. kelly kelly doing all her characters in these things mm-hmm. so i'll be down here or i'll be whatever it is and and all of a sudden she'll walk downstairs in this <laughs> co- costume and and like and i'm like Okay. All right. You, you, like, why are you a panda right now? I'm like, because that's the new mascot for the new name for the Washington. Yeah. You know, like it's it's incredible. It's it. it yeah, you come down and he just goes, "Wow, I committed to this." Yeah, that's right. great. That is so great. It's funny, uh, and and then she'll she'll do these these things and. Um, and they're imp- improv mm-hmm. and you know, I mean, you look at like Saturday Night Live or any show like that and you know that they start on Monday and they write, they got 15 writers yep. and they write and they write and they write and they yep. write until finally they go, okay, well that's the bit, yep. right? Well, this one will start the day before with an idea and a costume and a thing and then do it. And I'm like, wow. Sometimes the costume costume leads to... The material. Because okay. I'll be like, no, Lena, I appreciate your idea, but uh, I don't think a panda is. <laughs> you know, and then all of a sudden it just, it, you put put it on and you start going, what if I go like this? And well, what if he's having a baby? And, you know, all of a sudden the story starts to unfold, good or bad. That's great. And I could not do that. I, I, I cannot do that. So he's in there yeah. writing these beautiful songs and I'm in there going, waka, waka, waka. But it, it, it's like that some of the happiest times ever because you feel like a kid again. And we say that a lot on our, our show. Is, yeah. You know, don't forget that fun place where it, there are no rules. Right. And you're playing and you're allowing yourself to be silly or creative or whatever it is. Serious, deep, you know, it, yep. it feels so good. Even if you can't talk yourself into it. That's right. All it feels sudden. good. So uh, all of the listeners out there, make sure you go and watch Coffee Time with Lena and Kelly. And the website is, tell, tell us again. Coffee Time with Lena and Kelly.com. We have a Facebook page as well. And... Lena and Kelly.com is the other way to get there. But FaceTime, I mean FaceTime, Face Facebook. You know, the Facebook. The Facebook, Facebook. and the Face. So yeah. go watch all the episodes because yeah. they're fantastic and they're so fun. You're, you're going to keep doing them. Yeah, we, we're, we're not stopping. Okay. And Clint, <laughs> tell us what you're up to right now. Uh, a couple of things. Uh, this friend of mine, and this is also interesting, it kind of steps back to what we were talking about, the creative process. Um, Frank Wildhorn, Frank wrote uh, Jekyll and Hyde, you know, this is the moment, this yeah. is the day, uh, among a whole lot of other mm-hmm. things, right? That's probably his most famous song. Uh, and I've known Frank since we lived in LA in the 80s. Wow. That long. Wow. Um, 
but we've never really sat down and, and, and written together. Um, where was I going with this? There was a, there was a, a thing I, I, that kind of tied back. So, 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 oh, so Frank said to me literally this January, and when I was in New York, he said, you know, we should have been writing a long time ago because I don't write songs to to put them in a in a drawer. I I don't write songs to go, oh, look at this good song. I write, I write songs that are going to have a life. He said, either it's going to be a theater project or it's blah, 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 blah. So during this pandemic, we've started to write, serious, seriously write. And all of a sudden, there is a project. There, I mean, there is a literal theater project that he has raised the, the money for, that has producers, that they're talking about doing a workshop in Amsterdam next year. Wow. And it just started because he would send me melodies and I would write them. And, and then he had this idea f- f- to do this this show. And so it became, let's write towards that now. Instead of just writing songs that th- someone could sing, you know, uh, let's write towards that. And now we're probably on, I don't know, our 10th or 11th song that we've written. And, and the other people writing for the project are people like Brenda Russell and wow. and, and uh, Leslie Brickus and people that are writing for this project. So so that's one thing that I'm, I'm working that's on. That's great. Um, I'm, you know, my show, which is um, uh, called If Not Now When, which is kind of about my family. Um, yes. I've been working on that for a long time to get it up as a one-man show. Uh, off Broadway or wherever, and there are some very real possibilities for that now. Um, so I'm writing. I mean, it's really all about writing until I know that I can get back out there and, and do a show. With a brand new knee. With a brand new knee. Brand new. Yeah. Yeah. Kelly. Yeah. I, I did not want to leave out my Please. wonderful band. Uh, my musical director is Michael Clark on yes. keys and bass. And he's he is amazing. just fantastic. Oh, he's, he's my guy. He's amazing. Um, we've been working together since back at the Sterling Club all those years ago. Wow. And uh, David Ramirez on drums and mm-hmm. Mark Hall Spites on guitar and vocals. And often Lanny is with me. Lanny you know, counts. Sometimes fantastic he does the singer. whole gig with me. And other special guests. It's not open mic, but it kind of feels like that, but they're friends. And we're there every Wednesday night. That's at the Tuscany yeah. in Las Vegas. Every Wednesday night. Fantastic. I yeah, I feel bad. I got nowhere. I come to her thing on Wednesday night sometimes, or not right now, but and, and get up and, and sing because we have to sing. Yeah. Right. We have to. Are you right. Kidding? No, you're work- Clint's working on so many things. It's not like you're not creative. No, no, no. I, I, no, it's it's really true. I, lo- I love, love it. it. I, I love that I... You know, I'm sitting here right now with with my pad and listening to the ideas that I'm writing. I, I don't know what I would do if I didn't have that right outlet right, right. now. Outlet of creativity, yeah, and and moving forward in that direction. And well, being open to open, like you said a while ago, being open to go. All right, well, this is the situation that exists right now. Don't shut it off. Go for it. Clinton Kelly, thank you so much for talking with us. Uh, you guys are fascinating people, both of you. We're going to have to have you on again because there's so much more that we could talk about. So thanks for doing this. Pleasure. We love you, brother. You have been listening to the Chic Compass Connection podcast. To learn more about Chic Compass magazine, visit chiccompass.com. That's C-H-I-C-C-O-M-P-A-S-S.com. Thanks again to The Vegas Room for hosting us. Visit thevegasroom.com to find out more about this great supper club. This is Jamie Hosmer. Thanks for listening.